Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Before we get the introductions underway, just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, this is a, a special edition of the podcast, so for those not in the room, you'll be listening to this on Acast, iTunes, whatever you're listening to, but we are in front of a live audience here at the Cardiff Arms Park. I know that you lot watching me right now are aware of that, plus the people on Facebook Live. But let's get on with the introductions because we have got a very special guest and we've got two fairly regular ones for the podcast, the, the Rose Between Two Thorns. Let's start with him. Uh, very lucky to have Ellis Jenkins here, Cardiff Blues and Wales player. Brilliant uh, to have you here. Very lucky. And either side of you, we've got Simon Thomas and Andy Howell, our two rugby correspondents. So let's, uh, without further ado, let's get straight into it. Um, so, Ellis, um, looking like the big sort of uh, story of the day is going to be that uh, Liam Williams is out of the uh, semi-final. Halfpenny's likely to start. Um against the box and you know what it's like to beat the box how's that going to make an impact I think Liam's obviously a big loss uh, for us he's been brilliant for the last couple of years for Wales and, and Wales Saris and the Lions um, he's not a bad not a bad guy to step in um, I, you know I'd be struggling to think of a game where, where Lee's uh, let you down when, when he's played for the last couple of years it'll probably be slightly slightly different um, game plan but um, yeah i yeah, you know, it's obviously a big loss with with Liam missing, but Lee's a Lee's a great guy to come in. And so you've been texting me nonstop today, haven't you? Sort of on my day, ruining my day off, shall we say? You know, talking about who's going to come in and then how the box are going to bombard us with a kicking battle. So now we're on that. Let's let's talk about how the box are going to bombard us with a kicking battle. Well, they, they kick a lot. I mean, we've seen that during the tournament. They, they particularly tend to kick um, from the middle section of the field when nothing's really happening and. Um, they do tend to put a lot of box picks in through Fafta Clerk as well, you know. So, do you think, Al, that Ellis, with with Liam coming out of it, which you know, given his counter-attacking threat and half penny there, do you think they'll kick more, kick less? Will they change the way they play? Do you think? Uh, no, I'm not sure they will. No. Um, no, Lee's just as good under the under the high ball as anyone else. There's still a fairly um, fairly big counter-attack with with Josh and with um, yeah. and with George. Um, and obviously Lee as well. You know, over the over the years, he's been he's been criticised a lot uh, for maybe lack of counter attack, and he seems to come up with the goods um, every time. So that is like you, like you said, they they kick a lot, and uh, it's it's um, you couldn't ask for a better guy under the, under the high ball, really. No, I suppose we'd go back four years. You remember twenty fifteen? Wales were tested severely, weren't they, by depth? Ellis, if you look at the last World Cup cycle, you were probably the last sort of player to be capped under Warren Gatlin before he sort of changed tack and started capping. I think it was about 20-odd players after you got capped on that New Zealand tour. Are we better built to sort of deal with these injuries now, four years on from 2015? Um, yeah, yeah, we, we are. I think we've spoken a lot the last sort of couple of months, last year, uh, 18 months even, about how we've, we've built a lot of strength and depth. There's still probably some positions where... Um, the, the starting player is probably very very important to us, um, but yeah, like, like I said, we've we've had so many injuries so far, and we're still in a in a semi final and still looking competitive um, going going into it. So I think um, yeah, we're definitely we're definitely in a better place than we were in in 2015. And Andy, you've been sitting very quietly there, which is unusual, rather unusual for you. Um, big match news, Ben. Big match. Yes, at least at least something's big. Um, so let's um. What are your thoughts on uh, Liam Williams being out of this uh, semi-final? Then it's a massive blow, isn't it? Uh, it's not as big a blow as you making out there, Ben. Uh, Halfpenny's a top player, and as these lads have said, you know, South Africa got a big kicking game, and uh, Halfpenny, if anything, is better equipped to deal with that kicking game, and he's a much better tactical kicker than Liam Williams. So you know, it could be a real arm wrestle, which I think Wales have won this weekend. So Halfpenny can kick him into positions, and uh, his positional play is excellent as well. He's often he's there to catch the ball. He reads the game so uh, well. So I don't think it's uh, such a uh, such a big blow. Liam is missing apart from what he brings as a counter attacker. You know, Halfpenny played well when he's had a go this tournament, and to be honest, Liam has been a little bit hot and cold. Are we not worried though that? In such a game where it's, it's two physical teams coming at each other and, and South Africa normally going to win that physical battle, we need a strike runner like Liam to, to maybe provide the point of difference. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows what Liam brings. You saw it in the Lions too. You've seen it for Wales. You've seen it for Scarlet. You've seen it for Saracens. He's, he's had a fantastic year, you know, at club and country. So, yeah, it's a loss to, you know, to lose any player of that quality. What interests me is what Will's approach will be in terms of clearing the ball, 
because there is going to be a lot of kicking for South Africa because we saw against Japan, South Africa did a 50 meter driving wall. You know, it was just a frightening thing to watch. You know, and I guess South Africa would probably be quite keen on having line out ball in within 50 meters of the Welsh line. So do Wales kick to keep the ball in play? Do they kick aerially to contest? I think that's a fascinating thing to see what Wales's tactic will be when they do look to clear their lines. Hey Alice, what was Wales's tactic when you played the last time against them? Um, it, it doesn't change an awful lot, to be uh, to be honest. Um, Gats is always big on on being fit, being fit, working hard in training, and um, he always talks a lot about how the players have to undergo um, a lot of conditioning before they get up to international, or what what he likes his international players to be um, conditioned at. So. Generally, we keep we um, keep the ball on the pitch um, for as long as possible. Especially uh, South Africa, a big physical team. You speak about they they all want to be physical, physically dominant. The more we can run, run them around, um, the, the better for us. And I I don't think it'll change. To be honest, I think we'll be keeping the ball on like we like we normally do and trying to get that ball in play time as as high as possible. We've seen that tactic maybe manipulated a little bit in this World Cup. Wales kept the ball on field against Fiji and France and maybe kicked a little loose and, and there was a few missed tackles and, and they, they countered well. Is, is there ever sort of any sort of instruction from Gatlin and the coaching staff that if that kicking tactic of keeping the ball on play isn't working, that you should move away from it? Is that insistent that we, we stick to that and, and the fitness will, will tell? Yeah, pretty much. Um, obviously, you know, when you're really close to your line or if you've been under a lot of pressure, it's up to your halfbacks to make to make that call. They they can feel it when on the on, on the pitch to just you know put it off the pitch to re- reset. Um, but especially against, like against Africa, they won't want to give them any set pieces, um, especially line outs close to the line. So they'll be looking to keep the bo- in, in my opinion, I think they'll be looking to to keep them on. Um, South Africa have obviously got a very uh, even with um, Colby missing a very dangerous back three, uh, so the defensive line will have to be, you know, the, will will be tested, especially on the kick chase. But it's it's something that has been repped over and over again for for years, and um, I I just can't see it changing, to be honest. How important is discipline going to be against South Africa as regards giving penalties away around the halfway mark within kick into our twenty-two? Yeah, massively. Um, like like I said, we don't want to give them um, line outs in in attacking positions. We saw what they did in the mall. Um, against against Japan, um, I'd like to think our our lineup defence will be a lot lot better than that. We've we've coped really well with um, some strong set piece so far this tournament, and like uh, in in recent times, our our mall defence has been has been strong. Um, but yeah, like like Andy said, we it's key around especially around the middle area. We um, we won't want to be giving penalties away to give them easy easy field position, and um, obviously in uh, a semi-final, yeah, it's going to come down to you know a couple of points. So the, you you don't want to be given away. You don't want to all of a sudden find yourself three, six, nine points down. It's very very difficult to come come back from that. Indeed, it is. Um, I believe loitering with intent at the back of the room is Wales Online's very own smooth talker, uh, John Dolly. He's got a microphone in his hand, which is always a worry. But I think he's uh, got a question from the back of the room. Have you, John? Uh, first and foremost, um, I think a, a lot of Welsh uh, rugby fans would have liked to have seen you at this World Cup. We were all hoping that you would be able to make it after a horrendous injury um, against South Africa. Thank you. So, um, just like to know how the rehab is going and if you're on course to make a return quite soon. And secondly, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on how Wales will cope without such a physical presence with Josh and Reedy being out. First of all, rehab's going pretty well. Um, you know, like you, I was gutted I couldn't uh, couldn't make the World Cup as well. But uh, just sort of w- um, with the physios at the moment, just trying to um, work on a bit of running. Uh, trying to uh, sort of started probably jogging about two or three weeks ago. Uh, just trying to increase the pace every every couple of days, every week. Um, just starting, just started this week a little bit of changing direction. Um, just testing the knee out really, and then once you sort of 
done that you've got to then go try and back it up day you know two three days in a row um, and just be able to build the volume so you can get through a training week and then I'm hoping to all, all going well hoping to be um, back playing around Christmas time uh, give or take a couple of weeks but hopefully around uh, Christmas time I'd like I'd like to play some part in the in the derbies if uh, if possible um, I think Josh is a massive loss um, for us I think it, it showed on um, on the weekend uh, when he came off we really France had a lot of um, change out the breakdown um, you know it's it's very easy to look at a game and say look Josh had a big big tackle big carry he's played really well but there's lots of stuff that goes on that you don't really notice just little you know all it takes is to be one second late on a clean out and all of a sudden an attacking opportunity has gone um, and he's very very good at making you not notice that because if he if you, if you don't notice it it's, it hasn't happened so it's He's he's very good at that, and probably France had a, a, when he when he went off, we probably missed that a little bit. Um, I think the the back row this week will probably be Ross, Aaron, and and Tips. Um, I think Gas will have a word with Ross before the game. Let's say, look, you know, he's Ross has obviously gone from starting uh, in the back row to playing a bit of a, a bench role in in the tournament, and he won't be happy with that. I think if if you're going to talk about physicality. Uh, especially going against South Africa, he's going to be um, he's going to be the guy who is going to um, is going to bring you that. And, and Gas will lay down the marker to him before the game. He's very good at um, psyching people up and getting in people's heads in the in the right way. So I think Ross will will, um, will will definitely have a big big impact on the weekend. And obviously Aaron and Tips have been have been unbelievable. You know, look at look at the Australia game and. They've played Pocock and uh, Hooper off the park but between the three of them. Um, but it's who's gonna, who's going to fill um, Josh's role, I think, is going to be the, the, the key for us. Obviously, you mentioned the back row there. You know, Aaron Wainwright made his home debut in that game last year against South Africa. And since then, he's, what, played 14 tests this calendar year? It's a very different sort of back row, isn't it? To the sort of last two World Cups when you had clearly defined roles in a, in a chop tackler in Lydia, a, a Jacqueline Warburton a dynamic ball carrier in, in Falatau. It's, it's very much a sort of hybrid back row, isn't it? With three players who can sort of pick up the slack in, in, in the same ways. How, what have you made of this back row dynamic with Wainwright, Tipperick and Navidi? Um, it's, it's, it's been good. Like, like I said, they, to go out against, against Australia with the back row that they had um, and comfortably um, dominate, I, I thought they, they were comfortably on top in that game. So um, to do that is shows they've got it right like I said Josh Josh is probably the glue that holds that together a little bit um, it allows it allows Tips to, to do what he does um, don't get me wrong Tips does, Tips does a lot of it as well but we like to see him with the ball in his hand and um, creating for other people and Wainwright is just Aaron's a, an athlete he's he's big he's strong he's fast and he's he's growing I was really impressed with him on the weekend um, he, he's growing as the more, the more he plays um, growing into a, a um, into a better player really every, every time he's playing just with, with more and more experience so it, it's, it's tough they, they, they've been good they've been good it's not like, like you say it's not your typical back row you've probably got three uh, three athletes really um, rather than a you know a, a stereotypical big ball carrying number eight but I think it's worked really well for us obviously we, we talked about the contenders for the player of the tournament yesterday didn't we and I know that Cy and And uh, had a little disagreement about whether Wainwright or Tipperick should be uh part of them so I guess now that we got Ellis here we can sort of maybe have a tie break because I, I don't like it when you two are agreeing too much so yes I talk about why you know uh, Wainwright and Tipperick after the group stage we, I did a, a team of the tournament and I had Navidi in it so I mean which to me shows that you know the three starting back rows for most of the tournament have had a great World Cup and you know you could have easily gone with any one of the three I mean Wainwright's an incredible story when you think about it. It's, it's two years ago. He, he just only made his debut for the Dragons. The season before that, he was playing for Cardiff Met. He was playing university rugby. Only two years before that, he was playing for Whiteheads in Newport. He just started playing the game. It's a meteoric rise, and what he's done is tremendous. And Tipperick, we've, you know, we've, not, we've seen his class for years. And you know, I think the way Alice described Josh there, you couldn't have put it better. I thought, in particular, what he said about. Um, maybe tips the, bre- the best comes out of tips when he's playing alongside Navidi because Navidi will do so much of the nitty gritty unseen work. So all three of them have been fantastic. Um, we, I think we went in the end for tips just because Andy, you looked at the stats and yeah, when I looked at the stats, yeah, these uh, stats were superior and they were stellar stats and uh, that, that's why I picked them ahead of uh, Wainwright. 
and uh, you know Lance Delario says that if Tipperich was an All Black, you know he'd be one of the sort of one of their best players. So you know that backed it up. So staying on forwards, um, we're expecting the or the box have named actually a a six two split. Yeah, I mean we know what's coming, don't we? Well, I mean, I, I don't know what, what Ellis's thoughts on this, but that, that to me just means that they're going to say to the starting pack, just give everything for 60 minutes because there's six boys on the bench. You know, as soon as anyone's flagging, in terms of the, sort of the line speed and defence, I guess it helps when you've got fresh people. But have you played in many games where you've had a 6-2 split on the bench? Or is, that, is that generally quite an unusual thing? And why do you think they've done it? Only when um, it's been forced on us, really. Yeah. When, when we've been in European competitions and we've struggled to put three backs on the pitch is, yeah. is the only time really we've uh, we've gone with 6-2 but it, obviously teams do do it especially when they when they go in with um, physical game Edinburgh were doing it for a while um, a couple of seasons ago um, and it's you you know what's coming like like, um, like Ben said they, they're coming in with um, you know they just empty the tank and yeah. and uh, make changes but they, they've got they've got quality on the bench for like uh, Malcolm Marks probably one of the players you know, the last two or three years, and for him to be on the bench is um, just shows the, the the quality they they've got in the team. Um, but generally, Wales have Wales have done okay against direct physicality. It's just mm. a case again up and front, fronting up, and, and Sean Edwards will um, sort of be be lapping that up. Really, it's it's more um, it's more suited to the to the way we defend. You've worked under Sean. You've been coached by him. What will he be like this week, knowing the kind of physical challenge that's coming and what he'll be asking the players? Will he be calm and collected? What will he be like? He's never calm and collected. <laughs> he, um, he's, so, he's just such a passionate bloke. He gets really wound up. Um, he gets as, you know, as, as psyched up as, as the players do, if not more, um, during the week, as well as, as well as on game day. He's such a, such a competitor and... I think you can see that comes out in in the boys out you know the, the standards that he sets for for himself as as a coach. Um, he takes it personally when Wales don't defend defend well, and you know, it's it's no secret really how how important Sean has been for, for the last couple of years. And yeah. he'll be uh, obviously his, his his at the moment his last tournament with yes. with Wales, so he'll be as as the other coaches will be be um, sort of re- really uh, in, into the boys. I think. Yeah. I think we've got another question from our man with the microphone, John Doll. Am I right? Good question there. Uh, just for the benefit of the podcast, um, so the question was: Will Wales be doing anything a little bit different now with the discipline uh, in this World Cup? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, like, it, it, I find I find it quite quite strange, quite quite funny that we've been so successful and everyone's like, "Oh, we need to change this. We need to change that." Like, I it, it blows my mind. Um, we we've beaten every te- other than New Zealand, which we haven't played. We've beaten every team in the world in. Or every team left in the tournament in the last in the last twelve months. So, I, I obviously the, the, the discipline area is come the, probably the, the directive on the tackle law is probably the only thing that will change in, in my opinion. Um, other than that, you go into every game not wanting to give penalties away. Um, uh, but I don't think it's been a massive issue for for Wales. It's not you wouldn't look at Wales and say, oh, it's a you know we're we're a really ill-disciplined team. Um, obviously, the more pressure you are under. The generally the more penalties you'll give away um, so it's just trying to get all the ball for as long as we can really and, and be the ones applying pressure rather than uh, having the pressure applied onto us as a player I mean it's been such a talking point isn't it the officiating of this World Cup the red cards the yellow cards the high tackles the, the, the tip tackle as well what have you made of it I mean <laughs> is it difficult to play this game now with the way it's been regulated or do you understand why it's been there much it can take on it um, I think it's it's probably a little bit of bad timing um, that the, the directives coming now on such a glo- such a global stage. Like you see you see directives like this coming all the time, and all of a sudden there's um, the yellow cards, red cards yeah. fly out, and then it just it goes out of the game. Um, but you look at we, we were talking earlier about Sam's red card in 2011. Yeah. I remember watching it at the time, thinking there's no way that's that's not even a penalty. Yeah. 
now we look at it in in today's climate and you think like wow that's actually that's re- right. really bad and yeah. you very rarely see tip tackles anymore it used to be yeah. it used to be every every game maybe two or three we very rarely see them so i think we're just going through that transition at the moment where people are not quite used to um tackling as low as as world rugby want want them to tackle and like, if it if it makes it safer for the uh, for the players then it's it's, it's great it's just a, it's probably just a shame that the, the timing of it is a little bit a little bit off. What, what, what would you be for yourself with that award to be? Um, <laughs> luckily, I don't make those decisions. But it's <laughs> like I said, if it makes it safer for the players, it's it's in the it's in the benefit of all of us. Um, like the, the the people playing the game now, and like even the people starting to play the game, the, you know, the kids, even people people at grassroots. If we can get, if we can make it safer, then it'll be it's it's good for the game. Andy, I'm I'm certain that you're incapable of high tackles, but I'm equally sure that you've got strong views on them as well. Surely, yeah. Well, I think it's a it's rugby. It's a uh, it's, it is a dangerous sport, and I think most people are aware of that before you play rugby. And aggression is a part of the uh, sport. Hitting people hard in the tackle is uh, uh, an aspect of it, and you know, head eye tackles have always been uh, um, a no go area. But I think uh, world rugby have um, perhaps they've got carried away a bit around the tackles around the uh, the, the the chest um, area. Maybe you should be able to still smother people up. Um, on the plus side, changing laws, I think it could open the game up and perhaps make a more exciting game because players are going to have to tackle though, which means the guy who's got the ball is going to be able to pass out of contact more. So you might find it's going to become a faster game. Players are going to have to slim down a bit and uh, maybe some lads won't be able to play the game anymore. They'll actually be too big to play. I think I think it's important to kind of put it in a, <clears throat> a bit of context, really, because yes, player welfare is, is a driving force for this, but you've also got to acknowledge that litigation is as well. You've seen in American football, there's been multi-million pound lawsuits for players taking actions over concussion and brain damage suffered in the game. And I think Rugby Union basically looked at it, they took legal as well as medical advice, and they said for the future well-being of player safety and also to avoid these costly litigation cases they had to be seen to take an action I mean you compare it to rugby league I mean you, you watch this you watch an average game of rugby league and if the tackles there were in rugby union you'd be having two or three red cards a game and perhaps rugby league in five years time might decide well hang on a second we've got to do this as well so there is a context to it but I think Alice is right you know it's very difficult to sort of land this on a, you know, a global event when they probably wanted to be seen as, yes, we've got the tackle law right. Well, we haven't been singing off the same song sheet where you've got yellow cards given in games and then red cards on appeal or in the disciplinary hearing. So it's been a bit all over the place, to be honest. I would like to think that World Rugby has canvassed all the players who've taken part in the World Cup <laughs> and done a survey and asked them what they think. Okay, well, there we go. Um, I'm sure they have. But I suppose it brings us quite nicely on because it has been a major talking point of this World Cup. And I suppose let's go across the panel and, and, and talk about what you, you've made of this World Cup as a whole. Um, so I will we'll start with you. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think for me, the, the massive plus point has been the performance of Japan. I mean, before the tournament, they played against Africa and they lost, I think it was 41-7. They played their first game against Russia and they, and they really stuttered. And you thought it's going to be a difficult hosting. But what we saw then in the group stage with the victories over Ireland and Scotland, not just the, the, the results, but the way they played, I just thought it was a joy to watch with the offloading game. And they play the kind of rugby that you know inspires people, I think, to take up the game. And they tackled low as well. I think, you know, they, they, they grasped that pretty soon. I thought they were brilliant. Just the second half against South Africa, the, the, the sheer power and physicality, the box was too much for them. But f- for me, they've been a massive plus. That and the fact that, you know, Wales have done really well in overall, you know, and individual Welsh players have shone through. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Ellis, I know obviously a watching brief isn't ideal for you, but what, what have you made of, of the tournament? Yeah, it's been, it's been some great games. Um, some really, really enjoyable rugby. Obviously, Simon talked about Japan. Um, people say, oh, they, they were really good for Japan, but I think they're in generally a really good team. It's, it's a shame they came up against South Africa, probably the worst team they could have come up against in the in the quarterfinal. Um, probably the game that suited them them the least. Um, and also, like you look at um, some of the other um, you know, non-tier one teams, like Fiji have shown some absolutely unreal rugby. Like, 
Um, I remember saying it. What if they if they play like if they play like Fiji, they're unstoppable. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they came out against us. And you know, after ten minutes, you're thinking, "Well, here we go now." <laughs> um, and then obviously, even they, they lost to Uruguay in the first game. So it's that's what it's what you want to see. You want to see um, some of the little teams having their, their big day and beating some of the bigger teams. And 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 that's exactly what we've had. And some of some of the rugby that's been played out there has been has been uh, incredible. Yeah, it's been one of the best World Cups um, I've seen. And uh, what surprised me a bit was uh, before the tournament, uh, coaches, uh, Gatland included, were talking about, oh, it's going to be a kicking contest, an aerial battle, that, um, you know, the defences are so tight. But I think the um, weather conditions in Japan, the heat and humidity has meant that players are tired more quickly. There's been a lot more space on the pitch and teams have gone out of attack. And that has really pleased me, surprised me enormously, in fact, uh, you know, even when you watch that first match between New Zealand and South Africa, worthy of being a World Cup final, both teams really went, uh, uh, went at it. Uh, as the lads have said about the minnows, Japan have been fantastic. I think they've got great, co- they've got great coaches in uh, Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown, proven operators doing their careers and uh, the players and the nation itself really uh, bought into it. The other country I've actually been really, really impressed with is uh, Uruguay. You know, there's about 27 clubs playing in Uruguay. And uh, those guys have turned up at the World Club, really organised some good players and produced. I think going forward, though, the eligibility rules need uh, tightening because I'd love to see the Pacific Islanders who are playing for other nations, playing for their own nations. And then we'd have a far more competitive World Cup because at the end of the day now, three of the usual suspects are in the semi-finals of the World Cup and Wales is the other. You know, Australia missed out this time. And, uh, and France, renowned World Cup teams. But at the end of the day, rugby still a power game and it's still dominated by those major nations. It's interesting there you talked about how attack has ruled because in an extent it has. But you look at these two semi-finals and it's two very different sides of the draws, isn't it? You've got New Zealand, England, two teams who have looked very comfortable ball in hand, have wanted to keep hold of the ball and attack. And you've got South Africa and Wales, two teams who have maybe identified that these conditions are better to, to keep the ball with the opposition and you just back your defence. It, it is a very much a clash of styles, isn't it, on those two sides of the draw? It's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's pretty well repeated, isn't it? That people, if you look at Wales in particular and the success during the winning run, 14 games and in the World Cup as well, a huge amount of the success has been based on defence. And we talked about, you know, Sean Edge and what he brings and um, he's done it for, for 11 years with Wales and it, it kind of starts there. The interesting thing was then going into the World Cup, people were saying, oh, the defence, you know, such an asset, but, you know, is the attack functioning? Well, actually, when you go into the tournament against Georgia and against Australia, the attacks started to really function quite well, whereas I think they missed over 100 tackles. Now, I think part of that is down to the fact you're playing against the best players in the world, you know, so they're going to stress defences. I think Sean Edwards said, you know, if anybody's got an A to Z of how to tackle Rodrada and Tua Silver, he'd like to have it. You know, and you look at people like Cora Betty, we touched on Fijian-born players. How do you stop these players? It's really hard. So I think that's the key for Wales. They, they probably found some of their attacking mojo and yet the defence has been a struggle. That's why I asked the question about that because I think that's going to be the ultimate test physically. But I, I get the impression, I think Wales will probably be more suited to defending against a South African style attack than maybe a Fijian one with, with, where press Wales have stretched a little bit. But I don't know, I think it's just been a fascinating contrast. I mean, you had it last week of South Africa, Japan. Um, and I do think there's so many different styles out there. That's, well, that's why I've enjoyed it so much. An arm wrestle with South Africa will actually help, help Wales. And when I look at that uh, last match against South Africa, eight of that start in South Africa lineup is on duty this Sunday. I suspect of the team, most of them, and Wales won that match quite well. You know, Alice's boys were brilliant that day. And uh, so there's no reason why Wales can fear them. And we have beaten four times in a row. So mentally, Wales believe they can beat the South African team. Where they have got a massive advantage, he's on the bench. They've got 300 plus caps on the bench. And a lot of those caps are from players who've started with most of Wales' uh, substitutes. Most of their caps have come from being, uh, being subs. So, uh, you know, South Africa are obviously going to empty their bench. And basically, they're almost like American football. They're going to bring on a special team for the last 20 minutes. Just want to go back to Simon's point. You talk about Sean Edwards there, and obviously Sean's been with us for what, 11, 12 years now. And there's there's one thing that's always fascinating with, with him is that you don't see many defence coaches stay beyond two, three years. Uh, Ellis, you've been in camp with Wales now for about three years. 
what is it about Sean Edwards that uh, does he vary his his delivery of his, his game plan? Because defensive coaches don't change too much. How can someone like that stay in a job for, for 12 years and keep it fresh? Um, just just by being successful, I guess. Um, it's easy when you it's always it's always easier when you win it, isn't it? It's um like they they've obviously had a very um tight group of coaches who who've been together for a long time, but like even before before they were with Wales. Um and and they've been they've been successful. So it's it's been easy. Uh, Sean obviously enjoys working with uh, with Gats and Howlers and and uh, and McBride. Um and no it, so in, in answer to your question, he, he doesn't change anything. He's very, very basic. He's a he's basically this is what we're gonna do. These three things is all we're gonna focus on. And if it doesn't work, it's my fault. Um, and he's very good at giving the boys confidence in that. Like, look, do this, trust me, do this. If it doesn't work, I'll take the blame. Um, and he, he's a big believer that you can't defend everything as well. So it, you, you, you defend the 95% and if they can, if you know, if they have to cross field kick to score in the corner, then so be it. Because you, you can't defend the, the whole pitch, but if you can defend the, um, Sort of the, the majority and the nuts and bolts of it, then then he's happy, and that that's what Wales have built, you know, built their success on really over the last couple of years. And you mentioned the contrast between the two sides of the draw, but if you look at those four teams in the semi-finals, there's one common thread to me, and that's the quality of the head coaches, support staff as well, but in particular the head coaches. You've got four hugely experienced guys, Eddie Jones and Steve Hansen, are having their little tear to tear on one side of it, but everyone knows what you know what they bring to it. Gatlin's experience is well renowned. Across the one that people know a little bit less about is, is Razi Erasmus. He'd be well known to Irish fans because he was coach of Munster over there. But he, um, I talked to a leading South African journalist out there this week about what Erasmus brings. And he is one of the most structured coaches. You'll find he told a story about when Erasmus was coaching in the Curry Cup. He used to go on top of the stand of the stadium with a set of disco lights different colored lights and he'd flash the light depending on what the game plan would be that's how controlling and structured he is in terms of what he wants his players to do so there's no coincidence to me that you've got probably you know the four best head coaches have got into the semi-finals yes they've got great players as well but they're on that level because they're damn good coaches aren't they Absolutely, they are. Um, I believe we have got a question from John Dole, the man with the microphone. Uh, let's hear it. Good on there. Good on the um, it comes back to the defence piece that you talked about previously. So, during the Six Nations, Welsh were absolutely incredible. We the match against England, Arnold, and the defence was seemed incredible. But, taking the point that, okay, you come back against the best in the world. There were some second generation as well who made the defence look quite valuable and not as strong as it has been before. And in a world where there have been aspects where the attack is brilliant, the first half against Australia, superb, but there hasn't necessarily been a case of blood being able to attack. This is something we should be worried about from the South African match, but moreover, in a very attrition. Yeah, we're going to happen to South Africa. Let's hope the Wales get through to the final. But how many of the team are actually going to be in physical shape for a slower turnaround to actually be able to, to give the best account of themselves? Uh, we can't. Jimmy, got a defence. What defensive challenge this weekend? Right, so who, who's defensive challenge? Um, yeah, look, like, like I said, it's, it's, part, it's, a, it's one of the great things about the, the World Cup that some of the um, some of the lesser teams have caused some of the bigger teams real issues. Um, you know, talk, even you look at England which should have um, sort of knocked knocked Tonga out of the park, and they, and they didn't. They really really stumbled past them. And now last weekend we're talking about how it was such a great performance uh, against Australia, and how they you know the people are talking about them beating the All Blacks now. So it's not it's not panic stations. I don't I don't think it's. Um, even even Wales, like you said, first half against Australia, they were they were unbelievable, and they, they've shown in patches what what they can do. Um, unfortunately, it's not nothing 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 goes per- perfect for you know eighty minutes every time, and uh, we we probably have missed a little bit more uh, tackles than than 
previously. But um, like we mentioned earlier, if you know you could put any team in the world up against Fiji on their day, you cannot you cannot stop you cannot stop them. Trust me, I've been on the I've been on the receiving <laughs> end of it. Um, so I'm the Ralph defence coach. Why haven't you stopped him? And I'm like, well, I've hit him as hard as I can. <laughs> And so is he, and he still managed to get the ball away. So uh, there's players like that that, that that can that can break the game, but um, unfortunately, generally the most structured team, excuse me, the most, the most structured teams generally do the best. And then the more structure you can put put around the game plan, it puts your game breakers in positions to then show what they can do. Um, so that that that's what we'll be that's what we'll be trying to do. That's what South Africa will be trying to stop us doing. Um, and vice versa, but um, again, it, I'm not worried. It's, it's not a worry of mine because we we've been so successful against them um, previously, and it's I don't I don't see uh, this time being being any different. Simon, you've been. Uh reeling out the stat that Wales have missed is it 100 odd tackles in this tournament but then I suppose and Ellis can probably give us a better insight on this is that necessarily a worry when you look at how many of those tackles and maybe one-up tackles where Gareth Davis or Ross Moriarty has shot out the line knowing he has support behind him and he's probably forced someone into a successful tackle but he himself has missed the tackle you know 10 meters or five meters behind the game line the, the stats don't always paint the true picture do they? Yeah how, how important is Gareth Davis in terms of that because he seems to be given a license to come up into the line is that that's something that seems to have developed over the last 12 months to 18 months? Yeah I think it's a role that, um, that the scrum halves have within, within the Welsh defensive system um, you'll see quite often they'll defend on the, on the wing um, on, on the short side and then um, they, they've got they've got the license then to go once, once you see teams are coming around the corner and it becomes a little bit um, sort of telegraphed what, what they're going to do They've they've got the license to go up the line and, and get the scrum, get the um, try try and get the interception or bring the line speed to stop them behind, behind the line. Like you, you talk about, it, we talk about critical misses a lot. Um, so I've got no issue if our scrum half flies up the line, scrags him ten yards behind the line, just misses him, and someone else makes a tackle. It's my issue. I'd much rather that than allow them to come to us, make a, ta- a tackle but lose a yard. Um, it's it's not always about. Um, you know, being a hundred percent tackle uh, completion, and it's about your t- tackle effectiveness as well. Yeah, the gentleman raised the question of defence. I, I kind of think brings us on to the whole issue of Jonathan Davis, because he's Wales' defensive captain. This World Cup obviously missed the last game. I think everyone in Wales has got their fingers and toes crossed that he's going to make it. We don't really know. I mean, he was named last week, and then on the day of the game, he, he missed out. I mean. Maybe that might happen again in terms of him being named tomorrow. He's taking this bang to the knee. Um, you've played a lot with Jonathan, you know, in the Welsh camp. How important is he in terms of that defensive organisation? Yeah, he's a world he's a world class player in in attack and defence. Um, I, I spoke at the start about um, sort of having strength and depth, and we've, we've built strength and depth. And there's people in certain positions who are still probably, you know, quite well, very important to us. Um, he he he'd be one of those people. Um, I thought Owen did a brilliant job last week, yeah. um, step stepping in last minute. Um, obviously, very different players. John John just seems to come up with big moments in, in games. You know how often have, have we seen Wales sort of struggling um, to to break the line, and he comes up with a big handoff and just gallops in gallops into the line. Um, and def- defensively, he's he's up there with the best in the world. Um, so he, he is, he's a he's a big player for us. Isn't, there's no there's no getting away from that. He's it, it, ideally for us. He, he's playing on the weekend. Um, but like I said, Owen was was really good on the weekend as well. He, he offers something slightly different. Um, he's got he's he's got this incredible ability to to rip the ball off people. Yeah. Um, he practices he practices it a lot. Um, but he it was in in the league last year. I think there was four open sides and him at the at the top of the turnover charts just because he was he was getting so many rips in uh in the game it's when people are especially when centers are coming at him trying to use footwork he's got this I'm not quite sure how he does it to be honest but he's got this ability to um he did it he did it against Australia um came on straight away bump rip, ripped the ball off him and 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 away he's gone so he, he offers something slightly different um but yeah John John is a 
is a, a big player for us. Well, there's another Owen out there now as well, in Owen Lane. I mean, you know him well. We don't know exactly what's going to happen over the next week. But if he's called into action, would, would he? I mean, he's still relatively a rookie in international terms. But if he's asked to do a job, would he step up to the plate? Yeah, yeah, of course he would. He'd be, he's been brilliant for us the last couple of years. Um, I thought he was unlucky to miss out on the on the um, squad initially. Um, it probably came down to between him and him and Hallam, and um, you know Hallam's a quality player as well. They've gone for a bit more experience, and Hallam cover two positions. So um, look, he, he's out there. They obviously had um, they've obviously had some plan for him for, for Navidi to come home and then to call out the, call out the winger. There's obviously something something going on there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've got. Uh, full confidence in Owen. He's he's a, such an exciting player. He's he's a big boy and he can run, um, and he's a really intelligent intelligent boy as well. So his uh, yeah, if, if he gets it'd be it'd be great to see him to see him on the on the pitch. Um, do, do you think he could be involved this weekend against South Africa? Um, I I don't think so. I think they've um, to to go that far across across the time zones and. And sort of get up to to speed. It would be very very difficult. I think you saw saw on the Lions how uh, how that affected them when uh, when when they went out there. Um, but yeah, you know if if push comes to shove, I'm I'm sure he could. But I think you know if if, if Lee comes in at fullback, um, hopefully John John's fine um, and Owen will be on the bench. But I think if Owen comes in, then Harlem will probably be on the on the bench then as well. What about the fact that uh, Owen can cover, Owen Lane can cover centre? I don't think he's played the centre for a long time. Um, I think they're more likely to go with George to cover the centre than, than, than Owen. Um, I think Owen, if you speak to Owen, he probably said he'd probably tell you that he, he would like to to play in the centre in the next couple of years. I think that's where he sees his his future. Um, but he's just got so much pace that we've we've um, sort of used him on the wing, and he's been he's been great for us. But I think World Cup final would probably be. A nasty place to play your first senior senior game in the centre. <laughs> is, he, is he the quickest player in the in the blue? Who's the quickest player in the blue squad? I think he'd be up there. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Him and Ali Ali Samara will come yeah. uh, will come close as well. Yeah. You top top five top five Ellis. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to go back too far, but we talked about Gaff Davis, and obviously it's a big battle between Gaff Davis and Faf de Klerk, two scrum halves who, as Simon says, sort of dart out the line in, in defence. As a flanker, how does having a scrum half who's who's suddenly charging out the line rather than sweeping behind? How does that change your role, if if any? It doesn't, to, to be honest. No, if if he goes, it's, it's great for us if they can get out the line and make a tackle. It's good because either they've gone and it sort of reminds you to to keep up with them in the in the uh, defensive line, or if they can go and spook someone, either spook them back in towards you, which is generally your your, your bigger defenders or if they can make a tackle then you'll you can be straight on the ball and trying to affect the, the speed of ball or, or get a t- uh, turnover uh tom tom has been brilliant um, um at, at, at that with with the blues and um you know his his defensive qualities are probably not talked about because he's because he's so good in attack and he does some unbelievable things in attack but his defense is is uh brilliant as well I was going to ask you about Thomas Williams because he's, he's kind of been the super sub for Wales in this tournament. You know, a series of key interventions. You know, try try against George, try against Uruguay, set one up for George North in that Georgia game as well. And there was that leap in the air against Australia. You you've trained with him, played with him. Has it been any surprise to you how he's kind of risen to this? Because he's uh, every time he's come on, he seemed to make a big impact. Yeah, no, no, no surprise whatsoever. Yeah. Um, he's so skillful. Just oozes his class. He's you know he played played basketball when he was younger. Um, He's fast. He's got he's got great feet, great hands. Um, just really, probably un, a little bit unorthodox, but yeah. um, very very skillful and just quick. And he's nasty as well. Which he's is what nasty, nasty. <laughs> yeah, almost like almost like the old school scrum halves who would go in and start a fight. And his, his <laughs> oh, sure, I should say his, his first. Uh, well, it's plenty of niggle then from him. Uh, one of his first training sessions with Wales, he had a fight with Alan Wynn. So it's, you know, he, you want, and he, he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have backed down either. Um, <laughs> who, uh, who pulled them apart? I'm not sure. <laughs> I think Navidi, Navidi might do that. Oh, I'm gosh. not sure who he was pulling away though. That's, 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 where, the, that's um, where the wrestling background comes yeah, in. Handy, he, yeah, he, that's that's just what that's what he is. He's so he's he's a competitor and he's um you know he's really sort of physical and in your face as well. I bet when that happened, the Gatlin and Edwards loved it. Oh, Sean did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
course, you sit, you're sitting right next to an all-school scrum half right here, and, but I don't, I don't think you ever charged out the defensive line, did you, Ace? Uh, not really. Running the other way? More, more of a sweeper. <laughs> more of a sweeper. We'll take that to mean whatever you meant it to mean. Uh, I believe John Dole is sat on the couch after a quick uh, trip to the bar. I think I saw that. But uh, he's back with the microphone in his hands, and he's got a question. Yes, we uh, a massive loss to the Blues. Uh, do you think he can make an impact Sunday, even if it's just off the bench? He seems to be able to match the physicality of the South African with his size. Uh, yeah, he definitely, he definitely could make an impact. Um, he's 21 stone and can really, really, he can run. Not even for a prop, he can run. He, he can run. Um, he, he's, a, he's a big physical boy and he's, um, he's probably benefited from a long uh, pre-season a long training camp with Wales as well he looks fitter he looks sharper um, he, he could al- he was always physical and could deliver big impacts with us it's just he probably struggled to, s- to string those together whereas I think I've been so impressed with him so far in uh, in this tournament um, you know to for the way Nicky Smith was playing in, in the Six Nations for him to have sort of leap- leapfrogged him into the squad is is uh, sort of testament to the work he's put in really in uh in the preseason, but uh, you, you've seen that the, the line breaks he makes, um, it, you don't you don't see many props being able to do that. And you know you've, you've, he's still only he's still only 21 as well. So he, you know, he, he would have been a big player for for the Blues uh, in the next couple of years. But I'm sure he'll still uh, he'll, he'll be a big player for Wales. Is, is it is it annoying as as a flanker when you you see a prop get the ball and you think right that's great he's going to hit the tackle I can break. You know, just get over the, the the breakdown, and then suddenly he's made a twenty minute break. You think, oh, I've got to run a support line. <laughs> yeah, I wish it happened a bit more often. To be honest, <laughs> it's funny with Reese because I mean, a lot of people, probably you know, Blues fans and you, yeah, I'm sure, would have seen him play, but a lot of people wouldn't have seen much of him at all. He only started three games for the Blues. You know, I think one against Uruguay, against Edinburgh and Lyon as well. So you know, very limited experience. But clearly, well, a Saracen saw something in him because of the fact that they came knocking trying to get him, and and Gatland saw things as well. And for a lot of people, they've been wondering what that was. But then over the last two games, you've seen it. I mean, that break against, I think it was against Uruguay, wasn't it? Where he's got the ability to break the line and the pace to go away. And get, he gave a good pass as well. Yeah, I mean, and then if you look at the intervention, I thought against France, that absolutely pivotal scrum, I think six minutes from time, when it was him and Dylan and Lewis, you know, at, at prop. And I know they put seven in France for some bizarre reason but no number eight no number yeah, yeah no, no, number eight and they had two uh, back rowers back in them yeah, a lot yeah. as well yeah, Garthie, I, I, I'd be interested in what, uh, what you made of Reese's uh, scrummaging can you see us improved at the World Cup I'm in no position to talk about scrummaging <laughs> <laughs> I suppose we, we're talking about Reese Carey and obviously he's got a massive role as we say about the, the physical ball carrying but that's probably emphasised by the fact that now Ross Moriarty's starting Reese Carey is going to be the man coming off the bench who is going to be running at sort of softened defences or a softened defence, a springbok defence can be after 60-odd minutes. So there's no other big ball carriers coming off the bench. It's going to be Reese Carey. So it's a massive role, isn't it, Andy? Oh, it certainly is, isn't it? You know, you send him on to, uh, to, to take the game to South Africa. Um, it's big ass for him, but, you know, he, he, he looks a bloke who's suited to the international stage. And Gatlin's got this knack, hasn't he, with uh, Scott Andrews as well. Scott Andrews actually produced some of his best rugby uh, playing uh, for, for Wales. You know, Elliot D can carry the ball mind a bit as, uh, as, as well. Adam Bean, not so much of a carrier. Um, what's interesting, who's Wales' back row replacement going to be on the bench? Is it going to be a, uh, Aaron Shingler? Uh, or is it going to be James Davis? What would you do, Ellis? Um, it's a tough one, really. It's, it depends on... Um... It depends, it depends on how they see the game going, I guess, after after that um, that period of time. If they see the game loosening up, it's probably, you're probably better off with Cubby. Um, if it, it's going to be more of a set piece, then there's no one better in the line, line-up than, than Shings. So, um, Do you think that uh, how good a line-up forward he is, that could edge it for him? Uh, potentially. Potentially, I, I, I'm not like I said. I'm not sure. It depends what the um, taking into account the opposition and how big they, their back five is. Yeah, yeah. Or do you, do you look for something slightly different then, and <laughs> rather than fighting fire with fire, go for uh, go for James? Or if the game really opens up, he can he can cause havoc to uh, to, to defenses. Um, and also it depends on how how their um, bodies are after you know even even though they haven't maybe been involved in many games, is still the training in the in the week as well. 
Um, so it depends on who, yeah, it, could, it could be just whoever's, whoever's fitter. The other thing as well, Fran, um, Francois Lowe is on the bench for South Africa. He's one of the best players over the ball. So do you say, and right, and Malcolm Marks. And Malcolm Marks, two fantastic players in, in terms of the jackal. So do you look to counter that with Cubby Boy on the bench? Is it, or do you just play your own game? Is it? Well, I suppose that's what the coaches are paid for, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> what, what's your thoughts on the South Africa starting back row? Um, very good. Very good. Um, obviously, Vermeulen is has been has been great for for a long time. Khaleesi the captain, but Peter Stefftois is one of the best players I've best players I've played against. Um, he's he is a very 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 good player and still still young as well. But is he is he, he's very very efficient at, at everything he does. Um, so he'll you know, like this is a brilliant back row they've got. Is they've got a very settled back row um, with, with South Africa, and they're, they're lucky that they're all they're all still fit. Really, six and seven different over there in terms of they swap their roles. But is Dutrois when you've played against him, is he very much you know an old school blind side, or is he is he kind of one of those back rowers who can dip his hand to all the tricks the back row requires? Yeah, pretty much. Like he's you know you think of him, he's a big boy. He's yeah. like six, 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 seven. He's a big boy, but he can shift as well and. You know, you see lot. You see lots of lots of big boys who you know they tackle hard, they carry hard. But he, he's very effective at the breakdown as well, which you don't see from from many uh, tall players. Um, but he's he's. I've been really impressed with him whenever whenever I've played against him. He was brilliant against us last um, last autumn. Yeah, he's a great year, isn't he? Yeah. Okay, so we're reaching towards the end of our podcast. Um, getting towards the end, the territory of funny stories. So uh, I'll let you three start thinking of of those clean ones, preferably. But uh, in the meantime, while you have a chance to think of that. I think John Dole's got another question. Yeah, we've got another question to the social media with kids, so we'll uh, go to this one because not a kid third. <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, uh, so we all know we are in the back of November, it's the 2011, when we're in South Africa. Um, sorry to do this, you're 26 now. Next World Cup in four years is going to be 30. What's your aspirations for that World Cup? Um, yeah, be be there. I'll, I'll work. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really thinking about that to be honest. At the, at the moment, I've just I, it's been such a a long time out there. It's 11 months today that I've been been out of the game for. So I'm just at the moment just focusing on getting back playing, and then I can see where I am, see physically where where I am, how how my knee copes with the the training demands and the playing demands, and hopefully I can get back playing at, at the top level, a level I I want to be playing at, and. Uh, so I've got well. They've been Wales have been pretty successful uh, without without me, haven't they? So um, get get back playing for the Blues and hopefully you can get back back in the Wales team. And yeah, look, I'd I'd love to go to a World Cup. I was, I was gutted to miss out this time. So um, you know, come four years time, hopefully I'm still still playing right and and can, yeah, and can can get there. Brilliant. I think we've uh, got another question from the maestro with a microphone, John Dole. Yeah. Not a huge deal to be honest. Obviously the time with the time difference is, is quite tough. Uh, spoke, you know, descent uh, sort of uh, well done messages after some of the games. Um, spoke to Josh after after the game on on the weekend. Obviously he, he's gutted, but yeah, you know it's been it's been tough. It's been it's been great to watch. The Six Nations was was brilliant for me. Just to uh, I know how hard the, the boys have worked um, for for the last two year two three years uh, leading up to the World Cup, and you know to see the success that they've had during during Six Nations and now um, to make it this far in, in the World Cup. Um, it's, it's been great. Obviously, it's, it's a little bit bittersweet for for me. I, I, I wish I was there, but ultimately, it's, it, it wasn't to be. And um, I'm a massive fan of Welsh rugby, and I, like I said, there's some, some of my best mates out there, so I'm you know, cheering them on as much, as much as anyone else, really. Now, I think John Dole is uh, down with the kids, so I think he's got some social media questions. Uh, are you going to read them out yourself, or do you want me to repeat them after you? I'm sure we'll cut, we'll cut you out. I'm sure we will. Do you want, you want one from, uh, well, we'll do two around a similar topic. And one from uh, Christopher Marcus, who says, uh, Do you actually think that with the injury news today, with, with Liam Williams, given we've got Lee Hart on the bench, that it could have been a lot worse? And arguably, with his long range goal kicking, it could tip the balance in Wales' favour, and another one from Philip along, along the same lines. 
um, who says, Reese Patchell, what about Reese Patchell? He says, everyone's talking about me half-pen coming in from Lee Williams, but is Reese Patchell an option there for this game at fullback? I'm going to let, I, I wasn't really listening, John, so I'm going to, uh, and I think the levels were fine, so I think we'll just crack on with the questions. <laughs> Shambles. Right, um, Patchell first, I'll, I'll deal with the Patchell. I, I don't, I mean, Reese is a fantastically talented player and he's made big contributions in this World Cup when he's come on a fly-off, but that's where where he's featuring fly-off. I mean, he, I, I don't see really him starting at full-back. And on half-penny, the one thing I'd say, you know, wouldn't it be nice eight years on from the semi-final if he had a long-range penalty to win to win this game? And I think I think he would uh, he would savor the opportunity to lay the ghost to of Eden Park. You were there, Andy, weren't you? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think Patchell Patch, Wales experimenting with him. Ellis was over there, New Zealand, uh, 2016, and at the time Wales saw him as more of a fullback. But I think he's been such a success at outside half uh, for the, the Scarlets of Wales. Only looking at him now as a number ten. If Liam Williams is out, um, halfpenny's assured of starting. Was there a second part to that question? I forget. Um, I will disregard it. Um, <laughs> I think John's got another question though, so this will be the the second part to that question, so to speak. Okay, Evening. Uh, and it's interesting you you raised the, the question of the USA now there's increasing talk that the USA might bid to stage the 2027 World Cup because obviously it's I think it's uh, France next time I think they'll make a bid for that and you saw it with the Football World Cup where they tried to take that to America to try and build success and there's a professional league in America now and the other thing I think with these tier two countries Japan in particular I mean we probably shouldn't call them tier two now you know and Fiji the way they played I think there is a responsibility on world rugby and on the leading nations in the world to go to these places to tour there and to find more opportunities for them to come and play I mean you know I would hope next year Wales have got the autumn internationals back in 2020 wouldn't it be fantastic to see Japan coming over here and playing Wales at the, yeah at the but we said this after every World Cup some nations shown up and it's been said yeah they all they need help and all and what's happened nothing because the game's all about money and the leading nations that's really what they're interested in you know, it's what uh, Wales playing at the uh, Principality Stadium. That's what raises the money to pay for the pro game in Wales. So, you know, they want to play the teams with the biggest draws. Well, that, that, that was that was cheery, wasn't it? <laughs> um, but I suppose, you know, we I've seen twi- talk on Twitter that, you know, they go the Lions in two years' time. They played they played the Barbarians in Hong Kong in 2013. Why not play Namibia in, in, in an opening game? That That grows the game more than it does playing you know a bunch of barbars in hong kong in ridiculous heat yeah i mean i mean generally what you find in the autumn internationals is that the rule is um, if you play four games one of those certainly has to be against a tier two side but i mean maybe we need to be looking at this whole phrase of tier two you know it it seems very demarcating and almost putting people in their place perhaps they should just just look at one tier international rugby and trying to grow that in its size yeah but it's so difficult for these smaller nations to come through anyway because rugby is such a technical and Again, uh, that's why you see the Olympic Sevens, you have countries uh, like Kenya, uh, Spain, uh, USA, really good at Sevens because it's not such a uh, technical sport. Okay, I think um, we'll move on there before Andy gets any more sort of depressing. Um, <laughs> John, I think you've got another question right at the back. If you could repeat the question after this aspect of the podcast, I'd be glad to listen. Okay, I'll take I'll take your word. <laughs> Uh, slightly different uh, question. Uh, Andy Jones this week has kind of been speaking out about the pressure on New Zealand and migrating and things like that. Which is quite your thoughts on that. And Ellis, if you've ever been affected by those comments before again. Okay, so for John Dole's benefit, at the back of the room, the question was uh, Eddie Jones obviously been using, throwing the verbal grenades, mind games, and uh, Ellis, have you uh, ever been affected by that? And what have you made of it? Uh, no, not really. I think some people, some people do. Um, I think the coach, the coaches at the top level, do a very good job of taking the pressure off the players by sort of lumping the pressure on themselves. 
I think lots of, lots of the stuff you see in the media is is lots of that. And Gats has been brilliant at it. He's you know taken a lot of the lot of the flack and a lot of the stick, and you know everyone talks about these mind games, and it sort of it stops people talking about the players, or maybe players are under pressure or not performing as well, and just allows you to go out and play. Um, but personally, I I've, I don't even, I don't think about it, especially once you're on the pitch. You, you know, you just sort of trust your preparation and, and, and get on with it. But no, it's never never something that's really affected me. As a player, how much are you aware of the sound bites? Do you, do you read what's in the newspapers? Um, probably don't read our stuff. But did, did you sort of pay pay much attention to what's, what's going on when you, did you see the press conferences and all that? Uh, no, not really. My my <laughs> mum sends me, like, if, if ever I'm mentioned in anything, my mother will send me a... Yeah, send me a thing. Um, send me like a, sc- a screenshot slagging off one of the uh, one, one of the journalists if they. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not me. I hope not. <laughs> no, but like I said, I don't, I don't pay much attention to it. To to, to be honest, how, how do you see that England New Zealand game going? Because we talked about the kind of the, the banter between the two coaches. What Jones has said, spying and uh, talking about New Zealand journalists being fans of type. Right? It's all ratcheted up. But when it comes to the game, how do you see that first semi-final going? It's tough to look past New Zealand, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think England have, have impressed me, to be honest, in the last sort of uh, six to eight weeks from the warm-up games into, um, into the, uh, the the World Cup. Uh, they've just got, they've got match winners mm-hmm. and they've got a pretty, you know, pretty constant team. They've got a full bill of health, which is massive in, in competitions like this. Um, and like the, the way uh, Owen Farrell played on the weekend was was incredible. His his passing, just everything, his passing, his kicking was just yeah. uh, ph- phenomenal for me. And um, it's interesting that they've they've gone with Ford Farrell now yes, instead of Farrell yes. Farrell Slade. Um, but you know, as as Eddie <laughs> Eddie sort of speaks about, it's they're, they're not being dropped. They're just change, changing their role. So. Um, especially that it's sort of a lot's made of it these days about how you, you know, the subs come on and change the game and, and it's it's true um, so they've got some like I said they've got some, some great players but I struggle to see past New Zealand you keep going back to that, that thought yeah, don't you yeah. one, to be honest they, they just seem to change gear whenever anyone gets close to them yes yeah I think Eddie Jones has uh, been masterful this week I was totally deflected any pressure off his uh uh, players, no one is talking about England uh, uh, potential weaknesses, and you know Eddie's talked it up. New Zealand red hot favourites, England uh, underdogs. I'm sure he doesn't believe that, and I think it could be a really close match uh, because England have got a pack and certainly can compete with them. What's interesting is New Zealand have dropped Sam Kane. He's one of their best players in recent years. Okay, he's come back from a broken neck, but they've dropped him and they've actually bulked up their back row by bringing moving Scott Barrett as a lock to a blindside, which says to me that they are concerned about the size and physicality of England. I think this could be a really close match. Uh, what could swing it New Zealand's way? Of course, they've got match winners like uh, Bowden Barrett and their wingers. Given against South Africa in the opening match of the World Cup, basically they had two chances. They took them both and that decided the match. Okay, well, John Dole has moved eerily nearer to the bar, which means one of two things. Either it's my round, or we've got some more social media questions, and I'm pretty sure it's not the first. I'm sure you're going to finish with your predictions, but before you do, a uh, question here. When Wales reach the World Cup final, who do you think they prefer to play? Who would you prefer to play? <laughs> they probably prefer to, prefer to play England, I guess. Um we, we've we've beaten England comfortably in some big games over the last last couple of years, mm. um, and it, like I said, we've beaten every team other than New Zealand. Um, although we haven't we haven't played them, but um, uh, wherever you're going to play, so it's a World Cup final. It goes out it, it goes out the window, really, doesn't it? But yeah, prob- probably England. What about you, Sally and Andy? Uh, you must have a preference. Yeah, I prefer to beat New Zealand for the first time since 1953. Uh, if we play New Zealand, I would be worried about what I said a couple of minutes ago about the attacking threat of uh, of uh, New Zealand. They are so dangerous and they've just got so much pace. 
it does feel like I'm old enough to have been in the N53 having spent so long working with Andy just take it out did you a bit um, but you know what the part of me just thinks wouldn't it be kind of perfect for Warren Gatland's last game in charge of Wales to be against New Zealand and beat the one team that he hasn't done during his reign and I don't think you could get anything more perfect than that really might get him the All Blacks job as well <laughs> okay um Indeed. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been working with the two of them for two years. I'm 23 going on 43. Um, we'll finish with predictions. But before that, um, any funny stories? It's that time of the podcast. The, the inevitable funny stories. I can see the head shaking slightly there, Ellis. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was anticlimactic. Always on these things. Um, so let's, let's move on swiftly to predictions. Um, Ellis, we'll start with you for the weekend. Ooh. Setting. You said New Zealand, don't you? So... Oh yeah, I think uh, New Zealand, Wales. New Zealand, Wales. Oh, well, there we go. Here we um, go. Do we need to ask the other two? I suppose we will, just for cordiality. Uh, Simon, it's really difficult. I, see, I agree, New Zealand. I, I just think the way they played against Ireland, particularly in that first half, it, it just as good as England are with Kerry and Underhill having been fantastic. I, I just still see it being New Zealand. I find Wales South Africa really hard to call. You know, it's bizarre, isn't it? You know, we've won four in a row against them, and yet. I guess most people in this room, put your hands up if you think, well, we'll tell you, put your hands up if you think Wales are going to win. Definitely. Oh, there we are. It's positivity. So that's good. So I'll agree with you, Wales are going to win. <laughs> and now for a touch of negativity. <laughs> yeah, Ben, you know me. Yeah. Um, I've been tipping South Africa to win a tournament from a few months ago. So I think it's going to be a really close game. And as it gets closer, I'm actually fancying Wales' chances uh, for more. But I am going to stick with South Africa. And I think you're going to see what some, <laughs> some people might see as an upset year. I think England will beat New Zealand this weekend. Yeah, I think they've got the players to do the job. But, uh, but I think South Africa will go on to win the tournament. I don't think you're getting out of your life, Andy. Um, I know Simon's already sort of stolen my straw poll. But one last time, is it going to be Wales v. Who cares? There we go. That's what I thought it was going to be. Um, so that's it for tonight's podcast special edition. Uh, a massive thank you to Ellis Jenkins for joining us. Let's give a round of applause. Uh, I should also thank Simon Thomas and Andy Howell. I can't think of a better way to spend my Thursday night than with those two. Hi again. Our man down with the kids on the microphone, John Dole. Let's give him a That was nice and warm, wasn't it? Was, uh, and of course, to, uh, to all you lot for turning out, uh, it's great to see so many of you. Uh, hope you've had a great night. Uh, to all the people watching at home on Facebook Live and listening later on on the podcast, um, thank you and good night. Thank you.